Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Meraki Unbox podcast. My name is Sammy Brenner. I'm going to be your host today, taking you through an episode that I couldn't be more excited about. Truly, I met this guest in person a couple weeks ago and said to her, you are coming on the podcast. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, fantastic leader here at Cisco. Um, but before I introduce her, quick plug, make sure you download, subscribe, tell all your friends about the Meraki Unbox podcast. We have new content coming out about every two weeks. If you want to collaborate with us, if you have great ideas for the podcast, please reach out, let us know. We would love to work with you if it makes sense. So transitioning to our guest today, we have Nadine James, who's the Global Head of Social Impact and Community Engagement at Cisco App Dynamics. So Nadine is a global social impact leader. She's got 15 years of experience designing, launching, and scaling innovative teams um, with a successful social purpose and community programs that support compassionate capitalism. So we'll get to what that means in a second. But she really is a seasoned leader who cultivates highly motivated teams, high-performing teams with a commitment to mentoring and growing diverse talent. So without further ado, Nadine, welcome to the Meraki Unbox podcast. Oh, thank you, Sammy. I'm so happy to be here. It's a, it's an honor and a pleasure. Ah, well, we are so happy to have you. So thank you for making the time for us today. Um, okay. You know, let's go ahead and jump in, right? Why wait? So my mm-hmm. first question always, Nadine, tell us your story. So how did you land at Cisco App Dynamics? And, and you know, even before that, how did you get into technology? Aha, uh-huh. well, yeah. I've been at Cisco um, since September 2019, and I have been a social impact practitioner since 2013, so a a nice solid 10 years. Um, How I I came to Cisco, um, a good friend of mine worked in Cisco's community impact team and mentioned a really cool job at AppDynamics, and at that time, I never even heard of AppD, and I, I had no idea that it was part of Cisco. Um, But I took the call and a little bit reluctantly because I was pretty happy in my previous um, job and role, but that call got me hooked. And it wasn't just because of the role. um, It was really because of the person that I spoke to and how she made me feel about the role. She is a phenomenal human. And um, even though I only worked with her for a short period, I, uh, even though I only worked with her for a short period, we've stayed in touch, we've stayed friends, but she was really the reason um, I came uh, into this role. Um, And you asked about how did I get into technology? Well, I like to lead with I am the least technical person working at a tech company because I am. (laughs) I don't know my (laughs) Kubernetes from my bike codes, but I do know people and it's the people within a technology company that I really do want to reach. Um, I want to know what social issues do they care about and how can my team build a community impact program that supports them in giving and serving um, the communities that they live in to help their communities thrive. So it's less really about technology companies and more about the people that work at those tech companies. Yeah, that's amazing. So 
even from the jump, you just got this feeling when you were on the phone and in the interview process that the people component at Cisco felt yeah. different to you. Definitely, definitely. And I think that also speaks to um, our culture here, why people stay. Um, it really does. I mean, everyone knows the number one reason why people leave a job is because of their people manager. And I also think it's the number one reason why people stay, even if people might not be, you know, that happy in their role. A, a people manager role and the people that we work with, our colleagues, building that culture where people actually want to, to, to come to work, whether that's literally coming into the office or working from home, but being part of that team, um, I think really speaks volumes. And, and that shone to me in that very first call that I had um, with that person. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So let's rewind a little bit. So you and I, you spoke actually at a Women of Cisco panel that I attended several weeks back, and your story really caught my attention. Um, and you've always had, it's clear, this like passion for social justice and giving back. How did you, I guess, like, you know, make your passion for giving back and social justice, how did you translate that into a role? I mean, you are the head mm -hmm. of social impact and community engagement. It sounds like this role was made for you. Like, <laughs> how do you take a passion and turn it into what you're doing for a living? Like, that is incredible. Yeah, well, and it's been a journey, though. It's been a long and rewarding journey to get here. Um, when people ask me how long I've been in the States, I say about 150 years. So it really hasn't been quite that long, but it's been it's been a long journey. But every single role um, that I've I've had along the way has given me the tools to continue to build um, programs that are better to continue to be better as as an as a contributor myself whether that's an individual contributor or a people manager every role has led has has given me what it what I need to lead to the next role but I have always followed my my passion and my I, my I lead with my heart it's there's I just can't help that it's who I am um, but yeah, I, I literally started this journey by quitting a corporate job and taking an entry level position at a local government homeless department in London many, many years ago. Um, I actually worked at IBM and each day that I walk from the tube station to the gorgeous luxury offices that IBM had right on the River Thames, I walked past a group of um, well, a group, there were many homeless people that were sleeping under the railway viaducts um, in London. And, you know, I'm walking past them every day, twice a day to the office and, and, and back home to the tube station. And I would chat with these folks, especially the young ones. And I, it just broke my heart. Um, and I, I knew I needed to start volunteering and doing something, doing my little bit to try and help this, this problem of homelessness. Um, but what really prompted me to make that change from um, a role at a corporate, you know, a corporate role at IBM was when I shared my heartbreak about the, the chronic homelessness problem with some colleagues at, uh, at the, in the office, they didn't feel the same way. They were they were pretty disgusted in 
in what they had to walk through every day. They didn't want to see those young homeless people there. They just want, they didn't know what the solution was. They didn't care. They just didn't want them there. And that to me was the, the kind of moment where I knew I was in the wrong environment. And I started volunteering and I volunteered for a year at um, Centerpoint, which is a homeless shelter in, in London. I met lots of young homeless people and heard their stories firsthand as to why they ended up on the streets. Um, and I knew I needed to change jobs. So I, I transitioned from that corporate role. And I was very early in my career. So it wasn't like I, you know, I was senior in, in my positioning or anything like that. But um, I'm so glad I did because from there on is when I always just chose those positions that that meant something to me and to my heart. Um, and so, yeah, I, um, I I worked for many different nonprofit organizations in the UK and then in the US when I moved here. And in 2013, that was when I was introduced to, to corporate social responsibility and social impact. I started meeting people in these roles. There were very few of them. I didn't even know these roles existed, but et voila. Um, I got a job in 2013 in my first my first corporate social responsibility role. And uh, as I said in the beginning, I've been um, a social impact practitioner now for 10 years, and I couldn't be happier. But it's been a journey, and every every role has, has led to, to the next, building breaks. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. So you really felt called, it sounds like, mm -hmm. at a certain point to make a change and follow your heart and, you know, listen to your inter your in intuition, um, mm -hmm. which was telling you to pursue a different path that has led you here. Yeah. And, and I have to say, there were times when my friends that stayed on that corporate path, they were buying homes and they were buying new cars and there's definitely a huge difference in salaries. Um, and I was probably able to do that, make that decision so early in my career because I hadn't, I hadn't reached a point where I was dependent upon a high salary because that was the lifestyle I'd created. But when I did hear my friends, you know, kind of um, purchase these things, there was a little pang inside of me of like, oh, did I make the right choice? But then what came from that was hearing from them how unhappy they were in their roles, how unfulfilled they were. Yes, they were earning more money, but they weren't happy. And it, it was like I was the one that was like I had the bank that was full of the happiness and, the, and the, the, the nourishment that you get when you're in a role that you absolutely love um, compared to them. And, and I kept, I think someone said to me one time, don't worry about the money. The money will come. Just trust the money will come. Yeah. And it has. And, and it's, yeah. So, so yes, it's, it's, um, it, yeah. To answer your question. Yes. I definitely followed my, my passion, but yeah, it's, it, right. and it's ended well. Mm -hmm. it, it has worked out. It's ended well for you, but let me ask you a question. I mean, not to go off on a total tangent here, but there are, I think there is a somewhat of a misconception that you have to find 
passion and purpose in the work you do day to day. And I think that creates a lot of pressure for folks, especially early in their career, right? On like, well, I'm just starting out or I'm newer to the corporate world or I'm new to this role. What advice do you have for folks who maybe aren't quite there yet, you know, finding Mm -hmm. fulfillment and passion and the work they do to stay engaged and energized and like, what advice do you have? Because I feel like we hear that a lot, right? That we should be finding passion and purpose and it's hard. Well, but passion looks different to different people, right? Passion can be someone who's in sales, maybe so passionate about, they love hitting those numbers. They love the goals and striving towards those goals. And that fills them with a passion. Now, for me, it would be rubbish in that role because that wouldn't, it would be, the pressure would be so immense. I would, I would recognize that I'm in completely the wrong role. So I think, I think it's important when we say passion, we tend to think of, well, it's heartfelt and it's all the warm and gushy stuff, but it can be, it can be whatever makes you feel energized and you feel like you want to just keep giving and doing more. So I think it's really important to understand that um, and, and know that also some jobs can be somewhat mundane and that's all right as well. If you just want to go in, you kind of clock in, you do your thing and you clock out, but your life outside of that role is rich with the things that you enjoy. That's okay as well. I think it's just, I think it's just very important to know that, to know when you're in the wrong role um, and to know when you're going in the wrong direction and not to, when you're young in your and early in your career, not to invest if you recognize that right in the very beginning that you this isn't the right thing for you probably isn't best to invest years and years and years of it um, because you can get stuck at that point you can get stuck um, because now you've got a 10-year track record in something that you don't enjoy doing um, it's not bringing you any level of pleasure or happiness and it probably won't if it hasn't done for 10 years so I don't know. I think trying to recognize that early and not 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 have to not feel that you have to keep up with other people, your peers or society or whatever. I think we're all under a lot of pressure now to look a certain way and to have certain things. Let's let's all step back from being the group joiner and be be your independent self. That is that's what that's what people will will love in you and recognize um, in you is that you are your authentic self and you're not you're not a follower you're right. you're the you're the person that's standing on their independent um, beliefs and and passions right yeah that's great advice so you know I heard define what passion means to you right because it looks different to different people and also a big indicator is like your happiness level right yes, uh, if you yes. are miserable early on right that it that is in it and don't invest years there so yeah. those are kind of the two markers um yeah. you know let's transition a little bit i want to talk about social impact community engagement so First of all, talk to us a little bit about what does your day-to-day entail at Cisco App Dynamics? Like, what does your role entail? And then I'm curious about, like, how do you decide what causes to focus on and, like, where to give back in the community? I mean, for example, we're in the Bay Area. There are so many causes, right, to give uh-huh. back to. So, um, yeah, two-part question, but answer that for us. Yeah. Well, I think I'm the same as everybody who's listening to this. Um all of our days are really full and we're all jumping and bouncing from back-to-back meetings and 
I don't know about you, but I hate being late and I feel like I'm late to every meeting because the previous meeting has gone over and then you join the next one, you're already late. So every day is very full. Um, but the the work itself, I'm currently working on a number of big projects um, for Cisco. So the launch of the new community impact portal, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, if you think we've got 84,000 employees that we have now just transitioned from one um, community impact portal to, to another, um, we've, we've switched vendors, that, that's massive on all levels. So that takes up a, a big chunk of my time. Um, it's really important to me. You, you mentioned that we're in the Bay Area, but our, our, our company is global and the program is global. And what I noticed when I first joined that there are lots of U.S. nonprofits in our Matching Gifts program, but there aren't too many um, nonprofits outside of the U.S. So I think it's really important to, to up-level that. So I'm very focused on bringing in new nonprofit organizations that are outside of the U.S. into our Matching Gifts program. And that, that, that means finding out who they are, inviting them to participate, and building those relationships. Um, I am responsible for um, increasing the participation in our engineering cluster, um, participation in community impact um, with, our, with our folks in engineering. So I'm doing a lot of work with the, with the engineering orgs. And listening to them, I think any program is only successful if you build the program for employees because it was made with the input of employees. What do employees want? What does the engineer, what does the engineering cluster actually want to do when it comes to, to giving back to the community? Um, so lots of listening and lots of building and iterating the program based on, on what you've heard. And then I'm working on a pilot with the customer experience team, incorporating a give back when bringing customers on site to Cisco. That's exciting. Um, I also meet with employees around the world um, who volunteer to support the community impact program, like Meraki Gives. These are these are fantastic people who all have day jobs, but they are passionate about their community and they want to 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 give back, to do something. So I work very closely with those groups. Um, the community impact program that we have here at Cisco is what's called an open program and. We support employees where they choose to donate and volunteer. So to your kind of leading into your second question, um, we, even though we support employees and we match their donations, we match their volunteer time, we do focus the grants and the sponsorship on specific um, causes, and that's critical human needs, social justice, access to education, and economic empowerment. Um, so they're our main Cisco um, kind of cause areas that we that we focus those larger donations and contributions to. Even though we support, if if your non, if your passion is supporting animal welfare, there are plenty of of animal welfare nonprofit organisations in the Matching Gifts program. So we'll support that too. Um, there are some parameters in where we focus on our giving back, um, and there's some policies around. The matching gifts program but i you know i always do my best to <clears throat> excuse me try and get into the to the matching gifts program as many nonprofits as as possible because um, the more choice we have in where we choose to give and 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 serve um the more people the more employees will actually get involved and it is wonderful that we've got this 
very generous matching gifts program um, that uh, the employees have and our, and our volunteer time off program, which gives us all 80 hours a year to go and volunteer doing anything that we feel passionately about. So yeah, I love seeing, I love when I pull those numbers each, each month to see how are we doing, how are we doing against our 80% goal of um, community impact participation and seeing those numbers increase and just having people share their stories about what, what they've been doing in their communities is, is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I want to call it a couple of things. You know, I think it's so unique um, at Cisco that we offer 80 hours a year to our employees yeah. to, you know, go and volunteer and give back and get paid for that time. I mean, I don't think any other company even competes um, with that. So I, I want to call and recognize Cisco for, for that. You know, you keep mentioning uh, the matching gifts program and needing mm. for those folks who listen to the podcast who are our partners or, um, you know, outside of the Cisco organization, can you kind of explain what is the matching gifts program? Oh, yes, I can. I love this. This was one of the things that, um, and, you know, as I've said earlier, I've been in this field for a long time. I have never seen a company offer $25,000 per year per employee in either matching donations or matching volunteer time. So we, um, I can, we can all make um, up to $25,000 in donations to nonprofits. Um, we can get that matched by Cisco. So inevitably, oh, sorry, uh, consequently, if I make $25,000 in donations to either one nonprofit or multiple nonprofits, that's matched by Cisco dollar for dollar. And that wow. is amazing. Um, the average is one to three thousand dollars per employee per year so it's phenomenal um and if you volunteer and again this is what i love too is is employees the choice some employees only ever want to donate others only ever want to volunteer and some of us like to do a little bit of both but cisco's supporting us in all of the ways that we want to to give back to our, our communities so if you volunteer at a nonprofit that's part of the matching gifts program $10 for every hour you volunteer is donated to the nonprofit. So it's like a win-win for the nonprofit. They get your volunteer time and $10 per hour. Um, and so that's phenomenal. And then for that 80 hours of um, what we call time to give, it's, it's paid time off to volunteer, that can be doing any act of kindness. Go and, and we saw this more than anything during the, the mandated work from home, you know, during the pandemic, we saw um, we saw employees shopping for their elderly neighbours. We saw employees cleaning up their community. And so you can you can use your your time to give to do that. It doesn't need to be associated with a, a nonprofit organisation. It's your it's your choice. And that is, again, something I've never seen in all, all of my years of working in this field. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say I um, use the opportunity, my volunteer time off. I've done this several times now where we do Habitat for Humanity and we pick a day yeah. and I tell my teams, you know, hey, I'll be out there. And um, not only are you giving back to the community, we were able to meet the, the woman who is moving into the home and yes. her family, which was so special. And also I 
you know, got quality bonding time with folks on my team who I never would have had that kind of one-on-one time, you know, with before. So, you know, you're getting to know your team better. You're working on a project for the greater good of the community. You know, it's just every single asset, like they're my favorite days because, you know, on so many levels, you just leave like feeling like your soul is completely full. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I actually came to, I don't think I've shared this with you, Sammy, but I came to um, social impact, corporate social responsibility from, a, I was at Habitat for Humanity Greater San Francisco for five years. So we didn't set this up. You said that without even knowing that I was there. And one of the things that I loved when I would go to the, to the build site and I would greet the corporate groups, seeing everybody from the CEO to the person who's on the front desk and every layer, every every role in between those two, they were out there on the build site with their hard hats on. They all looked like deers in the headlight because none of them, they were out of their they were out of their comfort zone from the CEO yes. to everybody. And so putting putting everyone in that in that level playing field environment is a huge team builder. And I would mm-hmm. highly recommend um, volunteering, whether it's at Habitat or any of the, the wonderful nonprofit organizations that are out there, use the time to build with your team, build the relationships back. So many people haven't returned to office yet, and we're just mm-hmm. seeing each other in person very sporadically. But if you can do that through a volunteer event, yes, it 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 bonds you as a team in ways that there just isn't a, a, a comparison. Um, right. And I think it really, it does help build that that trust and the relationships now that we are coming back together again in person. So big yeah. plug for team volunteering at nonprofit organizations for all oh, of you listening. <laughs> yep. Couldn't agree more. It was just, um, it was so special, right? And you walk away from those days yeah. with incredible memories. And yeah, I was installing drywall. So mm-hmm. was it risky? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's someone on site to make sure you're doing it all okay. Yeah. But right. It yeah. really does kind of level set. I'm so glad you called that out. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's that's great. So, you know, I want to transition a little bit and talk about this idea of compassionate capitalism. So, of course, like any good interviewer, I stalked your LinkedIn. And, <laughs> you know, you mentioned scaling innovative and successful social purpose and community programs that support this idea of compassionate capitalism. And that really jumped out at me. So first question, what is your definition of that? And then second question, what do you say to folks who maybe say, you know, that doesn't exist? Why, mm. why is Cisco different? Mm. Well, so corporate, well, corporations that practice compassionate capitalism understand that profit is crucial to employer workforce, to build equity for shareholders and investors, to fund research, development, and growth, right? I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's there. But investors are increasingly looking to a company's long-term vision that goes beyond profit. So this is, I think, the key here. So it, what that it looks like is it, it includes improving productivity and profitability whilst innovating practices to strengthen society, um, such as diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, or improving pay equity, especially for women. 
So some of the biggest names in technology, like Apple, have been doing this for decades. Um, so at Cisco, we're committed to building technology that connects us, makes the world better, and fuels our purpose to power an inclusive future for all, which I have to say I love. To me, that just is just such a beautiful phrase, and, and I have seen it in action. So part of um, Cisco's social justice actions um, are that we are committed to ensuring human rights and accessibility considerations in all of our technology solutions um, and operations across our business and removing barriers to entry through initiatives like the 110 program. So they're all proof points that Cisco is walking the talk when it comes to compassionate comp uh, capitalism. So I'm in the I'm in the social impact office here at Cisco, so I get to see under the hood, and I can absolutely guarantee that Cisco does take compassionate capitalism seriously and continues to strive to build a conscious brand, um, as well as providing, as we've talked about, some of the most generous corporate social responsibility benefits for the employees in this industry. So I, I definitely, I'm, I'm probably one of those people that, a little bit cynical. Um, I see companies talk about all of the great things that they do, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, eh, really? Is that for real? Is that mm -hmm. given that I'm here, and like I say, I'm seeing, I'm seeing behind the curtain, under the hood, however you want to phrase it, because I'm actually in the social impact office, and I'm very close to the DEI program. It's, it's happening here. It's, I'm absolutely blown away that there's this much investment in doing a company doing the right thing so i guess that's the way we could rephrase you know what is compassionate capitalism it's companies that are doing the right thing for their people their employees and for the people society in general and at the same time making money it's a business um, but right. we're not harming anybody it's a business that doesn't harm people and there are you know there are companies out there that that are definitely not helping people they are doing more to harm right absolutely yeah you know I as you're saying this and explaining it do you think Cisco keeps year after year after year being you know Forbes best places to work mm -hmm. you know either number one or in the top three how big a piece of this portion of social impact and community engagement I mean do you think that it sounds to me like this is one of the huge differentiators right between Cisco and yeah. other companies is how much yes. you lean into this right yeah I think it's a I think it's a big part I don't think it's it's not, it's still not as big as I would like it to be but I think that is changing and I think all companies the you know the the mirror is being turned on to all companies to like, like I said, walk the talk and actually do these things. We, we hear constantly about climate change. We're hearing about net zero emissions that companies need to commit to. Our world is changing. Our world is, we're not, our world isn't very healthy because of, of how we've treated it. And we are, we are looking at companies to start to be the leaders in correcting, course correcting, the damage that's been done. So I think we're going to see more and more of these questions and the importance of these programs um, when we are assessed as a great place to work. I, I think it's inevitable. And I'm glad for that, too, because we should be. Um, we should all be accountable, whether as individuals or as companies, we should be accountable for um, 
what it is we're putting out there and how it is we're supporting those 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 around us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you for shedding light on that. I think that's super helpful and it makes my heart happy to hear that, you know, behind the curtain, behind the hood, we really are <laughs> walking the talk. Um, you know, I, I want to transition. You spoke about a story that really touched my heart when you got up in front of uh, a huge audience at the Cisco office, uh, previously Meraki office, but now we're all one Cisco, which I absolutely love. And, um, you know, it was a story around some shame that you felt for a lot of years and kind of your journey to releasing that shame. And you were extremely vulnerable with this audience of people. And it really touched me. Um, and I think hearing women leaders especially open up or, around hardships in their journey is just so impactful because you touched me and I know you touched other people in the audience that day. Um, can you kind of, can you share that story with us, you know, in terms of overcoming shame that you felt in your journey and how that's helped propel you to where you are now? Yeah, and thank you for saying that because, yeah, this this was a long time coming because I, I held this back for years and years and years. But, um, yeah, so, so my, the story that I shared was that I come from a working class background. My mum was a cleaner. No one in my family has been to college. Um, I grew up in public housing in London. I left home at 15. I started working at 16 when I left high school. And yeah, I, I, haven't, I don't have a formal education outside of high school. Um, so when I moved to the US, I was 18. Um, I was automatically elevated to middle class status merely because of my British accent. Um, and I have to say that was refreshing and it was, I, I, yeah, I loved it because I, I didn't have this baggage. I was just, it was just an automatic, um, uh, elevation in status, a promotion just right. because of the accent. Americans love an accent. We really do. <laughs> right? Um, and I, yeah, I, I took advantage of it, believe you me, but, um, but it, so it was all wonderful except for when I was asked which school did I go to? Um, and of course, I and I know what they meant. They meant which university did I go to? And I had this huge like bag of or level of shame that that came over me because I hadn't gone to university. And now I'm talking to people that had, and I felt lesser than. Um, so for many many years, I carried this big bag of shame around with me, and I would. As soon as that question came up, if it, if it, if I were if I was in a group, I would just leave um, the group, and, you know, subtly, but just so that I didn't have to answer it. But I I was sh ashamed, despite the fact that I was getting job offers that required a degree and sometimes a master's degree. That still didn't make me feel any better. I still carried this shame. I felt like an imposter. I felt like that. I felt like I wasn't clever enough and. I just wasn't up to par because I hadn't gone to university. And it was really becoming like the, the, the bane of my existence, my Achilles heel. It was very unhealthy. Um, but then I met the authors, Brene Brown and Valerie Young, who wrote about imposter syndrome. And when I said that exact sentence it, in, on the panel to the audience, Everyone went, oh, she met Brene Brown. I just want to be clear here. I did not meet Brene Brown. I meant 
when I picked up Renee Brown's book, when I picked up right, Valerie Young's right. book about imposter syndrome. Metaphorically, so just... <laughs> you feel like you met them. Yes. I do. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But just want to be fully transparent. So there was a, there was such a relief. I could, I devoured the books and I just felt like, oh my God, I wasn't alone. Um, this thing that I had been carrying around with me had a name. And I think most importantly, the, the books gave me the tools I could use to teach me how to let go of the shame and really become my authentic self. And it, it was wonderful. Um, and I remember the very first day that I replied clearly and confidently to the question, what school did you go to? I said, oh, I didn't go to school. Um, I didn't go to college. I left school at 16 and uh, I've been working ever since. It, and I said it with a big smile on my face because I truly felt okay about that. And it was absolutely liberating. And yeah. that just fueled me. I was almost, I, I was waiting for that question to come up again. I wanted it to come up again. And each time it did, the, it was like the shame just lessened and lessened. I, I became more powerful than the shame. The shame used to lead me and now that shame is, is just gone. So right. I, I, I feel like I left that huge bag of shame um, somewhere and I, I'm so happy that I did. And, and like I say, each time I get asked the question, um, I love responding and, um, and I do it. I think obviously in the beginning I did it for myself because it was helping me move through. And now I'm doing it to advocate for other people who for whatever reason maybe they didn't go to college or there's some other reason why they're carrying this bag of shame around with them. Um, I, I share it because like going back to imposter syndrome, um, I can, I, I, as I said, when we, when we were on the panel, I can absolutely assure anyone who's listening to this, who does suffer from imposter syndrome, you are not alone and talking about it lessens its hold on you. So I just encourage people to, um, you know, reach out to, to folks who have shared, who've been vulnerable and shared their story, because I think they can help you um, move through whatever it is you're going through. And then, um, and also, and there's, there's obviously lots of self-help books, there's lots of TED Talks, yep. but just know that you're not on your own and you can, you can move through this and, and overcome it. But yeah, and now I love it. And, and yeah, I think I mentioned as well, I, I work very closely with nonprofit organizations that work with um, historically excluded communities of young talent, talented people who have not had the opportunity to go to university. Um, they, they definitely have the skill set to, but for, for whatever reason, they don't have the opportunity to go. So I work very closely with those nonprofits and um, build a build the pathway to get them into companies like Cisco and, and other companies where we are now lessening the requirement of the four-year degree and going back to what I had alluded to earlier, the 110 initiative, fantastic initiative. If, if folks who are working for companies aren't part of the 110 initiative, please Google it and invite your company to participate. Um, but we need to start opening the doors um, because talent is everywhere opportunity mm -hmm. is not so let's provide that opportunity um yeah 
Right, right. Yeah, well, a couple things. Quickly, I want to touch on the 110 program. So Nadine, I don't even know if you know this. Um, my sales organization was one of the first at Meraki to hire from the 110. So I leaned into that program very hard. And then for those listeners out there who don't know what 110 is, it's a social justice initiative program, essentially, that Cisco has taken on, committed to hiring um, African-American talent that doesn't have a traditional four-year degree. Um, and it's been fantastic. I mean, we have gotten such incredible folks onto our sales team through this program. Um, yeah. So I want to shout out you and Cisco and any of the folks who, you know, may help make that happen. Um, okay. but, but going back to what you were just saying, you know, in the story you shared, first of all, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to call out the fact that you kind of came to that realization even later in your career, right, mm -hmm. when you discovered Brene Brown and these books that helped you put words to the feelings that you were feeling, right, imposter syndrome and shame, how beautiful, right, the, the evolution, you, you never arrive, right, yeah, and yeah. to keep growing and learning about yourself and softening your edges and discovering things well into your career, you mm -hmm. know, it's just so beautiful to me that you had that experience and you're on the other side of it. And now you're taking what you've learned and giving back and helping others and leaning into mm -hmm. these programs. I mean, how lucky are we to have a leader yeah. like you at this company? <laughs> well, well, thank you for saying that. That's very nice of you. I, I mean, how, how lucky am I to be at a company that has these, you know, has these initiatives that is willing to be um, a, a trailblazer when it comes to moving away from requiring a four-year degree for every single job it's just not necessary it's just no. not necessary so I love nope. I love that and I think that's key as well is you know as going back to kind of the beginning of this conversation around passion and early in career it's not just the the role that you're applying for or or or, or you know striving towards look at the company as well what does how does that company speak to and align with your values um, around just everything, your ethics, your morals. That's really important. You can have a great role, but it, it, it kind of loses its value if it's at a company that doesn't match and align with your your ethics, your values and everything else. And so um, I think that's that's key here as well because, yeah, it's important to to be somewhere where you feel like you're a fit for both the role as well as the company in general and what that company is is all about. Yeah, that's a great call out, right? Is, uh, you know, aligning your values, understanding what they are, first of all, early in career, right? And then looking at companies that match, um, you know, your values and what's important to you. Um, so I guess apply to Cisco is the long and the short of it. <laughs> Come on over. But, but to your point as well, we regardless early career, mid career, later in career, later in life. How lovely it is that we're we're paying attention and trying to be better humans in our existence, right? So it doesn't matter. We we should never stop trying to be a better version of ourselves. I I think I think it's 100%. I really think it behooves us to to just be ever evolving and iterating ourselves. And when you see those people who you think, oh, I, I saw someone, a 17-year-old um, 
uh, Geetanjali Rao. She spoke at a conference that I was at last week. She's 17. And I reached over to my neighbor and said, I want to be her when I grow up. <laughs> this young woman was phenomenal. She is just wow. amazing. And I, so I think whenever you see, whenever you interact with people that inspire you in some way, emulate them. Be a little piece of them. And it's the biggest compliment for that person that you've decided to be a little bit of them because you admire them so much. So I think that's wonderful too. I feel like I've, I've got so many bits of me or other people that I've just really been in, in awe of or inspired by. I'm like, oh, I'm going to take that little piece of that person and try yeah. and become a better human. Absolutely. I mean, that's how we do it, right? We have to be the change we want. So take yes. pieces from others that you uh, respect and want to emulate. Um, I yeah. love such good advice. So we're, we're at time. This has been such a fun yes. conversation. And I know we could talk forever. But, you know, whether it's a Cisco employee, a Meraki employee, someone from AppD, or maybe, you know, a partner in our you know ecosystem or someone mm. completely different listening to this podcast who feels inspired today, who wants to give back, who wants to help. Maybe they don't know where to start or they're feeling overwhelmed. What could what can we do at like a community level, you know, in our backyard um, to to start maybe if we're feeling inspired after this conversation today well I I feel like I say this a lot to people who ask this question but if we all carried out one or two small acts of kindness every single day and what I mean by that is hold the door for someone like wait a few minutes to hold the door that you see someone walking towards it give a smile to a stranger Um, Let someone in in the traffic as opposed to just inching your way forward. Do something kind once or twice a day. And if we all did that, we'd create this amazing ripple of goodness, ripple effect of goodness um, that will inevitably result in a huge positive impact. And I have to say it will make you feel good because what you what you give out, you get back. Um, And so I think doing that. And, and then a tangible step would be um, get involved with whatever it is your company's doing. If it's if you are a, if you're a Cisco employee and you're not sure where to begin, please ping me. I love it when people reach out to me directly and say, "I want to do something, but I don't know what to do." Oh, believe you me, I can I can find you something. Um, and if you're not Cisco, reach out to your company's social impact, community impact team. They're called a number of different things, but find the, the, the person or the team at your company, reach out to them. They will love you instantly because we're all looking for more of our employees who want to give back and do good to actually do good. And we can help make that happen. So yeah, from the from the from the small acts of kindness to take further action with with um with your own company. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That really hit home when you mentioned the uh, let someone in during traffic and don't just keep inching <laughs> forward. I'm like, uh-oh, she's calling me out <laughs> directly. Um, Nadine, this was such a wonderful conversation. You just like, you're just a good person. I feel it. I know it. Your energy is infectious and amazing. And we're so lucky to have you at Cisco. Thank you for spending the last hour with me. It has been a pleasure. Oh, I'm so that thank you made me feel all kind of teary eyed. That's that's a lovely thing to hear. And I'm so grateful. 
Um, thank you, Sammy. And thank you to everyone that's listening. And yeah, let's keep on being change makers for good and making the world a better place. Oh, boy, do we need it. Do we need it? The world is heavy <laughs> yeah. and it needs more kindness. So uh, thank you, folks. And thank you, Nadine, for another incredible episode of the Meraki Unbox podcast. Again, my name is Sammy Brenner taking you through today's episode. Be sure to download, subscribe, and I will see you back here in two weeks with another episode. Take care, folks, and stay safe out there. <laughs>